God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that we can come and worship you freely. God, hallelujah. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what our prayer is this morning. God, as Chris comes and brings a message from your word, God, I pray our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our souls will be open to listen, God, to what you have to say to us in this place. God, that we would not walk out these doors this morning leaving the same as we walked in, God, but that you would change us and mold us to look just a little bit more like you, God. So in your name we pray, amen. If we have not met, uh, it's a privilege to meet you. My name is Chris Carroll. I am the lead pastor here at Firewall Bible Fellowship, and I want to tell you this morning, it is no mistake that you are here today. And God has a purpose for your life, and what a joy it is to discover that great purpose in your journey. I want you all to close your eyes with me this morning. We're going to take a little trip. Don't look around. There's nothing else to see. I want you to imagine with me right now an orchard, a beautiful orchard. You can choose any type of apple that you would like in the apple orchard. It could be the luscious red delicious, Macintosh, the sweet gala, or the tart granny smith. You should imagine a beautiful orchard row after row of tree in season. It's apple picking time and so the weather has cooled. We've moved past the depleting heat of summer. Let yourself feel the breeze. Isn't that nice? Now imagine picking a basket of the most ripe, perfect apples you can find. Feel them in your hand. Examine them. Feel the satisfaction of a prized piece picked. Imagine after that long task, sitting down on a cool clump of grass to enjoy the fruits of your labors, and out of that basket you pick one of the finest of the bunch. You shine it on your shirt till you can almost see your face in it. Can you see it? And you take a big, satisfying bite. Come on, y'all. Only to reveal a core rotten blackened and full of worms. Welcome to Acts chapter 5. We're now moving past the first four fruitful chapters of the book of Acts. Some of you are like, that was a terrible trip. <laughs> we have enjoyed an orchard up until now. Luscious fruit, love and unity and harmony. Now we're going to examine the first truly rotten pieces of fruit in the early church. This record of the book of Acts is no spotless work of fiction. No, the Luke, uh, Luke the author goes to great lengths to show us not only the supremely pure, but also the sinfully evil in the early church. In fact, I quote here from Dr. Constable who writes regarding the, the strange contrast change of the atmosphere we might conclude from what proceeds that the church was a sinless community at this time unfortunately this was not the case there were sinning saints in it luke did not idealize his portrait of the early church but painted an accurate picture warts and all as one of my 
now favorite authors, John Stott, has written, it wasn't all romance and righteousness. Just for context, I want to take us back to the passage that we looked at last week. It gives us a very, very clear picture of what Christ-centered community can look like, the atmosphere of the early church. I want us to open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. Word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, on into Acts chapter 5. Again, what we looked at last week, starting in verse 32, so open to your Bible or your, on your phone or tablet device. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. This is a beautiful, utopic picture of unity and harmony. This was no small core group of people, the whole of the church. And no one said that any, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And so they were, they were mingling not only their lives, but they were fellowshipping their resources together. And think of the power that was flowing from this early community, verse 33, and with great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, he is risen, and we have seen him. And it says, and great grace was upon them all. In verse 34, more to the atmosphere of the early church. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought them the, the proceeds of what was sold. And Luke then, then pans in on a particular person who embodied this generous spirit. Typified this generous attitude. Verse 36, thus Joseph who was called by the apostles Barnabas. His name was changed. He was such an encourager. that They changed his name to son of encouragement. And he is a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Multiple times through this passage, this section, you'll see that phrase, at the apostles' feet. It was a place of offering, very similar to our offering boxes. It was a place of letting go and laying down. And so we have this guy, Barnabas who in this, this spirit of generosity and Christ-centered community takes a piece of land that he owned and he sold it and he brings the, the full proceeds of the sale of the property and he lays it down at the apostles' feet to be distributed. And I just have a question for you. What do you think motivated uh, Barnabas here in the text? What was motivating this heart? Let me hear. What were some of the motivations? Love. That's absolutely right. Love for Christ and Love for the fellow believers in the church. What else motivated this type of behavior? What's that? Thankfulness. A, a heart of gratitude. Look what God has given. God is a giving God. He's given us His Son. He's given us grace. He's given us His mercy. Why would we not respond in lesser fashion? He gives of what He possesses. What else motivated Barnabas? What's that? Faith. Absolutely, a willingness to sacrificially give without a safety net. I mean, walking by faith. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that were motivating the heart of Barnabas, love for Christ, fellow believers, the Holy Spirit bringing about this in his life. He's under the obedience of the Spirit's leading. He has a desire to bless. And then we turn to chapter 5, to the very first word of chapter 5. But... Conjunction of contrast, which tells us that we are going to be introduced to an opposite. You see, Barnabas is the sterling example 
of this spirit at work in the early church. Well, now we're going to meet the opposite. On the surface, it's going to be very difficult for us to distinguish between the two at first. In fact, if you do not know this couple that we are about to meet, you may be tempted to think that they are just as generous and sacrificial and loving as Barnabas. I'm going to tell you right now, looks can and often are deceiving. Looks can and often are deceiving. Please hear this. Motives matter. It's not just the action that God looks on. No, far more, God looks on the motive of the heart that brings about action. And just like those apples we picked this morning, at times you will find maybe something lurking beneath that shiny veneer that is not worthy of repeat. I quote again from Dr. Constable regarding this conjunction. He says, but introduces another sacrificial act that looked just as generous as Barnabas's. However, in this case, the motive was quite different. But a man named Ananias, verse 1, with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. It appears to be very similar to what we see in Barnabas. The structure uh, of the wording is the same. This couple, most likely well-known and well-respected in the early church, had a piece of property that they chose to sell. And we're going to assume lay the proceeds at the apostles' feet. They've got a beautiful name, by the way. The, the man's name, Ananias, it means Jehovah has graciously given and the name Sapphira means beautiful. And so you put this couple together, their name means Jehovah has given, given something beautiful. Oh, nothing could be further from the truth. They conspire together uh, to lie to God, to the apostles, to the church, and to the culture around them. And it shows us that there is often a great divide between what is happening in our private world in secret that nobody else can see and then what we display for everyone else to see. There's a great difference between the pictures we put on Facebook and then the actual experience of what's happening in our daily life. Verse 2, and with his wife's knowledge, that is, co-conspirators in the act, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so somewhere along the way, Ananias decided that he wanted to keep back some for himself. And that's where we find the nature of their sin. I want you to look right up here. First part of the verse, it says he kept back. You all see those two words, kept back? That is a, a translation of a single Greek word. That, that word, kept back, is used only a couple of times in the scriptures. Each time it is used it is in reference to either stealing or keeping back something that had already been dedicated to God. Keeping back something that had already been dedicated to God. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine this last week you bought a Powerball ticket. I'm sure... Only a handful of us bought Powerball tickets, right? I mean, the, the purse was only a, roughly like $750 million. You guys start your plans yet? You, well, you guys have already found out you're not winners. But just imagine with me purchasing a Powerball ticket. I know that's going to be hard for some of us to imagine. But imagine going to that convenience store and laying down that dollar or $5 or however many dollars you shelled out. And, and you get your ticket or tickets. And you pray, God! Because you're going to be Christian about this thing, all right? Be holy. God, if you allow me to win the Powerball, I will dedicate it all to you. And then lo and behold, the numbers come up and you matched them in order and you're the winner. 
And you go back, hey, hey, Lord. <laughs> you know how I said all? I meant small. I dedicate a small amount to you. See, there's a, a problem. You, you can't keep back what you've already dedicated to God and expect the Lord to be cool with it. Okay, you can't keep back what you've already dedicated to God and expect the Lord to be cool with it. And that's not just money. That can be our lives too. You know, those seasons and times in our lives when we're in trouble and we cry out, God, save me. And God in his mercy and his grace, he does. And we tell him, if you save me, I'll give you my whole entire life. And then you're like free from that season of catastrophe and you're like, oh, thanks, man. I'll call you next time I need you. Uh, you can't keep back what has already been dedicated to God. Well, here they are. They had the money in hand. They were having second thoughts, for they wanted to keep a portion for themselves. And I'll tell you right now, that they, had, they had all of the right to keep a portion for themselves, but they wanted everyone else to think that they had given all. Class, what do you think motivated this type of behavior? What is the motivation? We looked at Barnabas, his motivation. What do you think is motivating Ananias and Sapphira? Pride. What is pride? Isn't it it the the desire to elevate oneself around somebody else, make yourself better, look better, appear better than you actually are? What else? Greed. Ooh, greed. Isn't that a tough one? The desire to profit self. Even at the detriment of our own spiritual life, this desire to profit self, greed more. What else? Selfishness. Absolutely, Renee. That's That's a great point. Selfishness. You'll see self is at the center of their behavior. Do you all see any other motivators at work? I think you guys have surfaced them. That's exactly what I see at work here in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. And, And the vehicle that they're going to use to drive their duplicity is lying. And here's the thing. They think they can fool God. You know, anytime we think we can pull the wool over God's eyes or fool him, you want to know who the real fool is? ourselves. If we ever think that we can fool God, we are the true fool. Look at verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? Very quickly, Ananias realizes that the apostles are not fooled and that he wasn't just lying to man, but to God attempting to carry out this lie he had deceived the holy spirit and we see who the motivator is of this type of behavior we've looked at the motivation but now the motivator it's satan himself in fact peter says to him why has satan so filled your heart there is no doubt that ananias and sapphira were believers but it's also clear they came under the clear deception of satan just as believers can be full of the Holy Spirit, believers can also be full of Satan in the sense that we allow either Satan or the Holy Spirit to exercise control over our thoughts and actions. In the way that we allow either the Holy Spirit or Satan to exercise control over our thoughts and actions. I quote here from the New Illustrated Bible commentary. It says this, God's children who have been freed from the tyranny of Satan, this through faith in Christ, we have been set free from death and sin have the ability to choose whom they will allow to control them before you receive christ as your savior you have no choice you are under the dominion of evil and darkness but as believers we have a choice when we choose to sin we open the door to satan the evil one tempted ananias and sapphira with wicked desires and thoughts you know what he does the same thing with us 
We are bombarded with temptations daily. And I'll tell you right now, it's not the temptation that is a sin. Okay, sometimes we feel like we're in sin because we're being tempted. No, fight the good fight. Temptation's a part of it. Christ himself was tempted, but without sin. No, it becomes sin when we yield, and that's exactly what they did. They yielded their will to these temptations. This, by the way, does not mitigate responsibility as it relates to Ananias and Sapphira or to any of us. We can't just go, oh, Satan made me do it. No, they willfully made the choice when Satan whispered in their ears, keep back a portion for yourselves. You'll still look sacrificial, but you'll have a nest egg. Keep back some for yourself. It reminds me of another passage in Scripture found in Joshua chapter 7, a very popular passage in children's church. We learn the story of, of Jericho and how the Israelites marched around Jericho for seven days. On the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. They yelled, they blew horns, the walls fell down, and they conquered the city. But a, a little story that we often miss in children's church is the story of Achan. The people of Israel had been commanded to destroy everything in the town of Jericho, and what wasn't to be destroyed was to be dedicated to the Lord. And Achan went into the city, and in disobedience, he took items that were set apart for destruction or for devotion, and he kept them for himself. He took a robe, he took pieces of silver and a bar of gold, and he buried it beneath his tent, but then pretended like he had obeyed. God uncovered the sin of Achan as God is uncovering the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter presents some pretty uh, uh, incriminating questions. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, what is it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You see, in the early church, as in this church today, we are not under law to give. Now, as we saw last week, it's not law, it's love. Love, not law, compelled them to give. To give as an act of worship, as an act of love to Christ and his church and to one another, Ananias and Sapphira were free to keep their land. There was nobody telling them they had to sell their land. There was nobody telling them that, that if they sold their land, they had to give all to the church. Not at all. They were free to keep some, or all, or give some. But you know what they weren't free to do? They did not have the right to give in part, but to claim to give all. They didn't have that right. Quote here from Bob Utley who says this, they did not have the right to give part but claim to give all. And in the end we discover that attempting to deceive man, they'd actually attempted to lie to God and Ananias is about to fall under an extreme judgment. Similar to that of Achan and other biblical persons, he falls under the penalty of death. And it tells us this, you cannot mess with God and his church and get away with it. You can't mess with God and his church and just get away with it. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And then the atmosphere of the early church and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Could you imagine that guy who had, who had kind of followed in, in Ananias' footsteps and was bringing just a partial offering? Went, oh, I'm going to go ahead and go home now. <laughs> I mean, you imagine some people were like, oh, no. It says, great fear came upon all who heard of it, and the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. It reads in such a matter-of-fact way, it's shocking. 
I mean, literally, as the words are coming out of Peter's mouth, he immediately falls over dead. God struck Ananias dead. He breathed his last. He kicked the bucket. He bit the dust. He checked into the horizontal Hilton. I mean, however you want to describe it or look at it or, or compute it in your brain, it's nothing other than the judgment of God. And everyone who heard of it, they were humbled and in fear. They really started to consider their motives. And a group of young men rose up, wrapped him in burial clothes, and they buried him. There was no memorial. There was no observance. There was no graveside service. He was simply wrapped and buried. And then lovely Sapphira comes. Three hours has passed. Nobody has relayed the news to Sapphira. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. What do you all think she's expecting at this time? A little fanfare, some smiles. Wow, you guys are so godly. Thank you for your generous contribution. Well, she encounters an entirely different atmosphere as she enters in and stands before the apostles. There is no joy. It's a very tense and serious atmosphere. Peter has one question for her. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. I see here the gracious opportunity to tell the truth. She was not going to be held accountable for her husband's sin. She would stand according to her own testimony or fall according to her own testimony. Did you sell the land for the amount that Ananias brought? She replied in the affirmative. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And in here we see the two sins at work. We see both lying and testing. And lying, they attempted to deceive the apostles, they attempted to deceive the community and the Lord, but in testing, another motivation is revealed. They were wanting to see how far they could go before the Lord would intervene. And I think that's a very common practice in our lives. We see how much sin we can get away with before the Lord intervenes in our life. It's like seeing how close we can get to the edge of the cliff before falling over or how close our hand can get to the fire before getting burned or how much chemical we can ingest before we flatline. You never know when you've gone too far until it's too late and it turns out they had gone too far. Both Ananias and Sapphira lacked personal integrity and it cost them their life. The verse continues, Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And just like her husband, verse 10, immediately the judgment of God fell upon her. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men, they came in, they found her dead. And imagine those young men are like, is this going to go on all day? We got another one? They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And what came upon the early church? Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. You know, I can imagine this brought a, a sense of humble introspection to the atmosphere of the early church as I pray it does to our gathering today. We need to consider our motives. You know, I, I wonder what your response is to such a passage. 
I can tell you at times I felt that there's some type of injustice with God, not just with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, but other biblical characters, uh, people like Achan or Nadab and Abihu, uh, the sons of Aaron who were struck by God for offering profane fire in Leviticus chapter 10, or the story of Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6. There are these stories of these people who are, who are struck dead, and, and at times I'm like, God, come on. Like, being a little heavy-handed there, Lord, you know, like, come on, these guys can't be that bad. And, and you know what, part of the reason why I think I have that response, and maybe you have that response, maybe you don't, but I think it's because if God still moved this way, we'd all be dead, wouldn't we? You wouldn't have a pastor to preach to you, and there'd be a very small congregation of people to even hear a message. I mean, if the Holy Spirit operated this way still, the undertaker would be a very busy position. Here's what we know when it comes to the injustice of God. Let's, let's process this. This couple sinned against God. They sinned against the established leadership of the church and the apostles and also against the community of fellow believers. If this sin had not been addressed, sin would do what sin does. What does sin do, class? It grows. Just like the virus that has been spreading through the Carroll household, it grows. And it spreads. And it's toxic. It wasn't only toxic and disastrous to the early church, but also to the contemporary church family. Think about how churches are destroyed by sin. Don't forget the source of the attack if Satan was trying to gain a foothold in the early church while he was using money to do it. That doesn't sound very familiar, does it? I mean, Satan never uses money to gain a foothold in the local church, right? I mean, just a, a survey of history, recent and ancient, will tell us that he's been using this strategy from the very beginning of the church. It's crazy that he never even has to change his approach. We're so tempted to yield to his whispers. But in the end, I think the purpose of this experience is that it brought sobriety to the early church. You see, revolutionary Christ-centered community was no ordinary organization. It's not an ordinary organization. This is not an ordinary organization. We are to be pure and holy and set apart. This experience was provided to temper the early church, as I pray, this passage is provided to temper our gathering this morning. So let's talk about some applications. How do we apply your new favorite passage, right? Uh, first, lying and testing. Uh, both sins are clearly on display in this passage. Both sins are clearly rebuked. We have discussed what motivated such behavior, but we need to remember just this point. Our motives matter. Not just our actions, but our motives, why we're doing certain things. And we need to remember that lying is wrong, and it's so easy to do, right? Like, it's so easy to, like, convince ourselves, ah, it's just a little white lie, and I'm just lying to people. And, and no, 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 we're lying to God. And I'll tell you right now, the Holy Spirit never, ever brings about deceit in us. Ever. It is never the Holy Spirit that is filling us that leads us to duplicity. No, it is always the whisperings and the temptation of Satan, whether to profit ourselves or to protect ourselves maybe elevate ourselves, but I'll tell you right now, lying 
is the sign of a sick soul. Family, as Christians, we're to be truth tellers, even when it hurts. I always tell my boys, and my boys, carols are truth tellers. It's that important. But not just lying, but testing. We see in Ananias and Sapphira this, this attempt to see how far they can go before God intervenes. I'm going to tell you, that's a terrible game to play. And you'll never know how far is too far till it's too far. And so the application is, don't even try. Don't even try to test the Lord. The Lord is not to be tested. In fact, he's not ever fooled. If we ever think that we're keeping something from God, like he doesn't see it or he's not aware of it, like you're hiding it behind our back, God can see through us like a single pane of unstained glass. He sees to the core. He sees the stuff hidden. If we think we're fooling God, the only person who's being fooled is ourselves. This passage serves as a reminder, but also a warning. Lying and testing, not to be found among us. Secondly, the temptation to be something we are not. Boy, that spirit's not at work in our culture, is it? We're not tempted to be something that we're not or portray ourselves as something that we're not. In this passage, we see the temptation at work, pride and greed, the desire to elevate self and the desire to profit self. Man, there was a huge divide in the life of Ananias and Sapphira between their private life and their public life, wasn't there? Man, there was discontinuity. And I'll say this, in our own life, What's happening in our private world and what happens in our public world, it's important. And the farther that those two lives get apart, the uglier and messier it gets in the middle. You know, there's times where we have this private life, this private world, and we think nobody can see it. And then we have this public life. Well, let, let's talk about it. Any time that we pretend to have greater spiritual maturity than we actually possess. Those times when a particular passage is read and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I totally memorized it twice. I was just meditating on it this morning. Or any time that we pretend to have greater moral integrity than we actually have, like Sunday morality, but then there's the Monday through Friday ethic. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we behave one way on Sunday. But, dude, it's, it's, it's the week. I mean, you can't expect us to have this, like, Integrity stuff follow us around all week. Or how about this? Anytime we pretend to be more sacrificial than we are. Or more devoted. Anytime we pretend to be something we're not. Especially in the church. We're following in the footsteps of Ananias and Sapphira. And did you know, family, this is the one place where you don't actually have to do that? I mean, I get it. In your, in your public life and in, in the world and, and in your industry, wherever you work, I, I get it. You can't walk around and there's times where you're looking at me like, I can't just be a mess at work. I get that. But you know what? This is the one place where you don't have to fake it. This is the one place where you don't have to have your crap together. It's the one place. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to present yourself as something to be accepted. Did you know you can come in here as you are and allow God to make you who you're going to be? You don't have to have a private life and a public life here. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to start bringing those two. If that, if that even speaks to you at all, that maybe you've got this private life where you hide all your sin and you've got this public life where you portray like, oh, I've got everything together. You can actually bring those two people together, and you know what's going to happen? This is what's going to be so awesome. Your public life is going to get messier. That's what we're all afraid of anyway, getting discovered. Just, dude, get discovered. It's freedom. 
but your private world is going to get a little holier. And then you're going to have that supreme joy of just being one human being. And you don't have to think to yourself, uh, uh, how did I, what am I, am I going to get discovered or someone going to find out or everybody already knows. Oh, okay. Freedom. Because as I look at this passage, Ananias and Sapphira desired to be seen as more godly and sacrificial than they were. And you know what? It cost them their life. It is a dangerous practice to try to be two people. God really won't allow it. Everything that's spoken in darkness will be yelled from the rooftops. Everything that takes place in the shadows will be brought to light. And so finally, I'll end here. A few bad apples. How does the adage go? A few bad apples, what? Spoils the whole whatever. That's right, Stephen. A few bad apples spoils the bunch. And, I, and that's not just true in, in fruit stands. It's also true in churches. A few pieces of rotten fruit can spoil the bunch, but a few rotten Christians can destroy a church. This is not a favorite topic of mine, but it is one that we need to address because it's dealt with in the passage. There are times when church discipline needs to be implemented at times, it is God who brings the discipline. We see that very clearly in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. In judgment, God struck him dead. In fact, Paul the Apostle talked at length of sin that leads to death. There are times when people prematurely die for their sin. They're testing. They're seeing how far they could go. God says enough. But there are times when God has delegated the responsibility, as clearly seen in Matthew 18, to the church leadership to implement church discipline family, sin has consequences. It has consequences in our personal lives, in our families, and in our community. There are times when people's behavior or actions or just motivations are so inconsistent with the atmosphere and the safety of revolutionary Christ-centered community that we must confront and even in the most severe circumstances remove those who are causing disharmony or disunity or disgrace. I mean, you realize us gathering together in the name of Jesus is a pretty significant thing. We are telling the community that we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are times when behavior in here can actually cause disgrace outside. Have you ever heard of a church? Something happened within the church and it caused disharmony and disgrace and people who weren't even believers heard about it? That's flashed all over the news. There are times in any sport where an umpire will have to eject I don't care if you're a Yankee fan or a Tiger fan. This past week, it was necessary. Six players needed to be ejected because their behavior was so inconsistent with the game they were said to be playing, the game literally could not go on without their removal. And there are times when people do have to be removed from Christ-centered community because their behavior and their actions are so inconsistent, it literally will not allow us to continue in Christ-centered community. It's always done in grace. It is always done with the hope of restoration. But at times, it's necessary because you know what? An apple may look really good on the surface. But as we discovered this morning, sometimes you dig a little deeper, you'll find a rotten black core full of worms. Father, we, we come before you, and I, I pray this passage does what I think it's intended to do. I, I pray it brings sobriety here to this place. This recognition that when we invoke your name, that when we sing to you, that when we come before you, when we worship together and we put ourselves under your teaching and your word, our feet are here 
our words, our hearts, our minds are mingling in heaven. And as you move in this place, God, you reveal things to us individually. And I think you're revealing even now the duplicity and the lying and some of the things that are happening beneath the surface that we think no one else can see. But God, you see. I can't imagine it is your will that we continue on in that type of duplicity. And maybe what you're hiding most of all is not really having a relationship with God at all. You see, we can behave like Christians but have no personal relationship with God in the least. If you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've you've not received him as your Savior. Maybe you've been a really good actor. God's calling your name today. No more acting. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He was buried and he's risen. The Bible declares that he did it because he loves you. He loves you so much he won't allow you to live a lie any longer. Jesus was buried and he's risen from the dead. All who place their faith in him will be saved. If that is you today, I pray that God so moves in your heart that you tell him right now, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are my Savior. I believe that you died and were buried and have risen. Jesus, I ask for forgiveness for my sin. Please forgive me and come into my life and make me your own. I believe. Now, if that is your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you've just passed from death to life. You laid your head down on your pillow last night, separated by sin from God. Now you will lay your head on your pillow tonight, alive in Christ. Welcome to the family. And if you're here today and you've got something lurking that you've just had hidden, something that if God exposed, you'd be so embarrassed and so guilty and so ashamed, but somehow think that God doesn't see it. In the quietness of your heart, confess to him. Invite him in. There is no greater life than a life that is exposed, that walks in the light. No more darkness. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace in our life. We can come to you as we are, and you will make us who we are to be pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, you are loved. Now go tell the world, go declare to the world, go show the world, go proclaim from the rooftops that they are too.
Have a wonderful week in Jesus.